Good morning, church. It's so good to see you today. Can we give God some praise? I'm trying to raise the energy in this room a little today. We have caffeine if you need to manufacture it, but we're also trusting the Holy Spirit to set us on fire and get us going today. Uh, welcome to the fifth Sunday of October. Hello. And uh, the final installment of a series we've been in over the last couple of weeks called Generous. And here's the premise of the series. We're trying to live beyond ourselves so that we can make a difference in the world around us. And so week one, we talked about it from a standpoint. I shared some personal convictions. I thought maybe that would be helpful. Just why do, why do, why do I personally give? What uh, foundations, what, what bedrock principles have I found personally just as a leader in the church that we can look to. And then we talked about some values that we have as a church. That was week one. Week two, we talked about the principle of the first, that the first is the redemptive one. It has the power to redeem the rest, but you got to use it the way God said to use it, okay? And, and, and here's, how, here's how we read in Exodus, use it or lose it, basically. Today, I want to finish this series, Generous, with one of my most favorite verses. It's a long list, but this is definitely at the top, it's Proverbs 11:24. I want to give it to you, not in a translation, but in a paraphrase, because I love how the language articulates this verse. It gives us some street language. It, it talks in ways that we talk to each other every day of the week. Check it out. The team will put it on the screen. Here's what it says. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So God has these principles that he will expand us as we give away the very things that he's given to us. Now that goes against your natural humanity. Your natural state is to kind of be a hoarder and to preserve and, you know, to keep some in reserve and, and just live. And that's good financially and that's good. But God calls us to live beyond ourselves and beyond our human thinking and to adopt kingdom principles that will change our lives. So here's the question for today. Is your world getting larger? Or have you sensed your world getting smaller? It's the question we have to ask and work backwards. Because I'm not talking about inflation. I'm not talking about gas prices and food prices going up. I know all that's a reality. But you would also need to know your God operates in a different economy. For kingdom kids, it doesn't matter what economy you're living in. Doing things God's way, being a blessing being generous with your life and every manner of it, there, there's no such thing as shortages in heaven. There's no such thing as money problems. There's no such thing as pandemics in the kingdom of God because we can operate from a different vantage point. So today, I want us to talk about that. What does it look like to live large, to live a larger than yourself life, not for your own benefit. That's what makes it different than what culture says. It's not for me, but it's for his glory and for the benefit of others. That's why we say belong, believe, become. They were all becoming the person God created us to be. Now that is unique to you in certain ways, but there's commonalities to it as well. And no matter how you're uniquely gifted and we celebrate your uniqueness, in common we all are called to be formed into the image of Christ and part of our spiritual formation is to be a giver and to learn generosity because we serve the greatest giver of all. How many know our God is generous? I want to give you this quote. I just love this quote from Winston Churchill. It says, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Today, I want to conclude this series and give you four 
attributes of generous people. And then I'm going to give you four very practical ways that you can take those attributes and apply them to their life. How many know you need to know what to do on Tuesday? If church just inspires you but gives you no handles to live this out and get it in your calendar every other day of the week, we're not doing what God has called us to do. So it's going to be both helpful from a standpoint of understanding God's Word, and it's going to be practical and helpful from a standpoint of knowing what to do with God's words. The first one I would write down is the generous are happy. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. It doesn't mean life's perfect, but what it means is their soul is prospering all the time. That's what Scripture tells us in Proverbs 11. The very next verse after the one I read you in verse 24, it says the generous will prosper. Now that's not prosperity from a standpoint of your bank account's going to be bigger if you live this way. And it, here's what I would say. Generosity doesn't only include finances, but it always includes finances. And I'll give you more practical steps on that here in just a moment. But the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Here's what that word means in the Hebrew. It means propel. God will push you into your future. As you live a generous life, he will open doors for you that no man can open. And he will push you into places of influence in front of people of influence so that you can be blessed because God wants his children blessed. But the blessing is not for us. We're blessed to be a blessing. But you've got to get this in your mind because the kingdom of God is inverted in its principles. It says if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the least. If you want to be blessed, you've got to give. If you want to reap, you got to sow. It's backwards in our thinking. If you want to live a full life, you got to pour out your life. As a drink offering, Paul said, he lived every day just pouring out, giving of myself. And that is so counterintuitive to our self-preservation type of culture. But here's what I can tell you from my own experiences. God will make happen in your life what you make happen in others. Everything you do to others will come back on you in a multiple, in some way, shape, form, or fashion. That's the faithfulness of God. That's why the Bible says the, the givers are happy. Jesus said it this way, Paul recounting his words in Acts 20. It is more blessed to give than receive. Now, it didn't say it ain't blessed to receive. Come on, where are my Christmas people at? Woo! Some of y'all are like, November's Christmas, December's Christmas, but then there's three days that's Thanksgiving right there in the middle. It doesn't say that it's not blessed to receive. I love to receive. Some of you have got that sheen cart loaded. You're loaded up on Amazon. Look, I, know, I got your login credentials. I know what you... We're all ready for Christmas, and there's nothing wrong with receiving. It just says it's not, not blessed to receive. It's just more blessed to give. There's just a different level of blessing when you operate as a giver. Now, let's back that verse up to get a little bit more context from it. Paul the writer Luke, but Paul said, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than receive. I love the apostle Paul because he was weak himself. He went through tough times himself, but he lived in such transparency that he was shipwrecked and always threatened with murder and in prisons more times than you can count. And he lived in hardship. 
He went through some of the toughest times, tough times that we will know nothing about because we live in the beautiful country of America that needs prayer, but praise God for America. But Paul went through things, and I loved, he showed us the balance that he, yes, identified with the weak, but he didn't identify it as weak. Oh my God, this is so good. This got me this week because this is what we do. This is the balance. Some of us don't identify the weak with the weak because we feel weak. And some of us just uh, live on the other side of that. We just put a barrier between us and anybody beneath us or beyond us. Or we just, but Paul says, no, no, no. You, you need to own your weakness, but you don't have to identify as the weak. You just identify with the weak. Why, why did Paul say it like this? This is, the revela- this, is the, this is the best part of the message, in my opinion. Because a giver can't be a victim. So if you've dealt with some victimization, I'm not demeaning what's happened to you. I know it hurt. I know it's hurting. But God, through generosity and adapting the spirit of generosity, can help you overcome that victim spirit and get into a victor mindset. God has made you more than a conqueror. He's made you more than an overcomer. And what Paul understood is that a victim can't be a giver and a giver can't be a victim. And so we have to settle this decision of generosity in our heart and adapt this kingdom principle that leaves entitlement of needing all the ministry and needing all the sympathy and needing all the attention. And we just begin to sow it. And we, yeah, we need some, but we trust that God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If I will live my life taking care of God's agenda, he in return will take care of mine. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Here's the other revelation I had from the scripture. And it's that receivers are always in the waiting game. They're the ones waiting on a handout. They're the ones waiting on opportunity. Receivers are at the mercies of givers because they're waiting on somebody to open a door for them. They're waiting on a blessing, but the givers lead with it. They may need a blessing, but they said, I'm still going to be a blessing. I may need a word of encouragement, but I'm still going to give a word of encouragement. I may need a little help in my finances, but I'm going to trust that God is who he said he is. And I'm going to sow it in expectation that I will reap it. I'm going to take control of my destiny and live a generous life. That's why they're happier. That's why they're happier. They don't have less problems than you. They just learn to position and have perspective on their problems. And they see the word. It is more blessed to give than receive. The word blessed is makarios in the Greek. It means happy. It means happy. They're being pushed into their future. God's propelling them beyond their own gifting. And they're living happy lives. Number two, the generous are compassionate. They just are. They're compassionate. Which here's, here's compassion. I'm, I'm passionate. And then I'm compelled to do something about my passion. That I see what you are struggling with. And there's a passion that rises up in me from the Spirit of God. But it doesn't leave me in the state of a noun. It calls me to action. I can't live. Jeremiah said, it is fire. Shut up in my bones. I got to do something about this need. I was born for such a time of this. Nobody should be under a bridge needing a meal while I'm alive and in this city and following the King of Kings. I'm here for a purpose. Yeah, I got a laundry list of issues. Lord, help me. But I'm not going to wait on you to answer all those prayers before I get busy handling what you've already put right in front of me. I'm living beyond myself. I'm going to live beyond me so that I can see you. And the challenge with compassion is that that generosity has an enemy. And the enemy of generosity is selfishness. 
Now, here's the other challenge. We're born selfish, but we're born again generous. You need an easy way to remember that? You're, you're born again generous. Starts with a G. So does God. But you're born selfish. Starts with an S. There you go, everybody. Yeah, I know you were born that way, but God has called you to receive his son as your Lord and Savior and to be transformed in the renewing of your mind where the old man is gone and the new one has come. God wants you to be born again because the, the generous are compassionate. Proverbs 29, 7 says it this way. Love this verse. The righteous care. They care about justice. Notice it didn't say Vengeance. Justice is not vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord's. We care about just outcomes, though. We care. We fight for the unborn. We stand with Israel. We, we care. Righteous people care. Can we take five seconds and put our hands together and thank God for the local church? I'm not deconstructing. I'm not separating myself from God's plan. If there was no local church, there would be no hospitals. The, the, the hungry would not be fed. The gospel would not be lowering crime rates. Marriages would not be being restored. Children would not be being trained up in the way they should go. I, I know the church is messy, but can we just embrace that, that I'm a big part of the mess? And that I'm going to overcome the messiness and see the beauty and see the goodness and understand that God has a plan because God's compassionate, and we should too. It's why we plant churches. Part of what we give for the legacy offering is our compassion going to believe in other couples just like Chris and I set out, stepped out of the boat. What in the world are we doing? Ah, this was a bad idea. She blamed me. I blamed her. It was the Adam and Eve experience all over again. But other couples, you did. We want to believe in other couples who have a dream to see God do something unique in their lives and through their lives with a group of people in a city that is getting darker and darker, knowing light shines best in the darkness because the righteous care and the generous are compassionate. Number three, the generous are blessed. I'm sorry, I, I'm saying that a lot. Bless, bless, bless. But uh, you can't get away from it in Scripture. It's from cover to cover. Proverbs 22 says it this way. Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. Proverbs 28 says, whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing. Does anybody here want to live a life where you lack nothing? Oh, what do you do? Be generous. Don't close your eyes to poverty. See the people around you and live your lives for their betterment and for their good, not just your own. This is the call of Christians. This is the call of Christianity. It is not come to a church service and sit and sing a couple of songs and go home. No, it's come to fill the tank, to recharge yourself so that you can pour your life out the other six days of the week in the areas of influence God has entrusted you with. So the Apostle Paul understood that it's more blessed to give than receive. He understood that the generous are blessed. And so he was preparing the people of Corinth, the Corinthians, probably most like America. Out of all the churches he planted, the church in Corinth, they, they were arts, they um, were highly sophisticated. It was a port city. They, they had good money. They were in the larger uh, percent of income earners. And so I would liken it to the Western world. And so Paul is going and he's saying, hey, we're going to collect an offering. He was giving them heads up. He wrote them in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, 8, 9. He's talking about this offering. He says, hey, we're going to do something uh, not just for you. We already planted your church. We're going to do something beyond you. There's Christians in Jerusalem that are being persecuted and they're really getting it because they've stepped out of 
just the religious side and they stepped into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and they're being persecuted. They don't have anything. And so you're called to be a blessing. We're going to do something for them. And they're really struggling. We need to help them. And then he, he kind of hypes them up. I love Paul, man. He's smooth. He kind of hypes them up because he's like, hey, the Macedonians already are, they're fired up. <laughs> he, he lets them know, hey, the Ma- I got them fired up. And here's the thing about the Macedonians. They were impoverished. Yeah. They, they, were, they were struggling even probably more than the Jewish Christians. But they actually asked Paul in 2 Corinthians 7. They said, please give us the privilege. Don't you withhold this blessing from us. I, I know we don't have much, but don't you not let us be a part of what God's doing. They begged Paul to be a part of it. And so Paul's like, man, if they want to do it, what are y'all doing? Y'all come on. Y'all got it together. Y'all got more than you need. Come on, be a blessing. He fires them up. And here's what he says to them in 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this, Corinthians, Wesley Chaplians, Lando Lakeians, San Antonians. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, I'll probably uh, mention this to you several times, but if you're new, uh, my dad was a farmer, and this is farming language, so I'm in my wheelhouse right here. Because with farming, and you understand seed, that, that there's a little bit of uh, some components happening when you sow. There's seed, there's time, then there's harvest. And never has a farmer looked around at his shelves and saw them empty, expected to harvest something. He looks around, he sees his shelves full of all of his seed. But yeah, he's, he's looking at his fields and mad at God or mad at th- those helping him because there's nothing being produced. It, it, wouldn't that be kind of laughable for him to think, well, you've sown nothing. Why would you expect the harvest? But we do that. Yeah. Our, our shelves and our stores are filled with all types of seed that God has entrusted us with. Our joy, our encouragement, our giftings, our good looks. God's given us so much, but why would we expect a harvest if we put no seed in the ground? But at the same time, a farmer doesn't look around and get fearful when he doesn't see any seed on his shelf because he knows he's put it in the ground. And that it's only a matter of time before I'm going to see a harvest. Here's the principle. The blessing of tomorrow is in the seed I plant today. What are you sowing today? I'm not harvesting anything. My business isn't growing. My marriage isn't getting better. My kids are still acting crazy. We'll keep bringing them Palm City kids. That's probably going to be a process. But (laughs) seed time, harvest. The verdict's still out on all our kids, right? But we're going to get them in the right place. And every week, let God's word and God's people put good seed into good ground so that it'll produce a harvest that one day when they take the leadership of this church and they take it further than we ever could, we will celebrate and say, oh, it was worth it. Oh, it was hard to wait. It was hard to trust God. It was hard to understand this kingdom principle, but I'm so glad I did. But if you don't have joy in your life, maybe sow it. If you don't have encouragement in your life, maybe sow it. If you need a blessing in your marriage, be a blessing to another marriage. Give them a date night. If you need a friend, why not be a friend? It's a principle that is universal all throughout the earth that you reap only that which you sow. That's why Paul in the next verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves A cheerful giver. Here Paul gives us a should and a shouldn't. (laughs) You should give. Each of you should. You should. But you shouldn't do it with the motives 
of reluctancy. Don't be a Scrooge about it. Don't, don't do it because somebody just compelled you. No, do it because your God's a giver and he loves those who operate like he does. That's why one of our values as a church is generosity, our joy. This is the verse we got it from because God loves people who live their lives beyond themselves. And so Chris and I have been praying about legacy. And you know how you, um, you settle this. You're like, oh, I'm about to be generous. You know, you kind of get a little, you need, to, you need to get a little humility in your life. But you're like, oh, I'm about to bless somebody. You know, I'm just, I'm just blessed to be a blessing. Pastor said it, you know. And you start kind of getting like that. And you're like, but I'm going to pray about it first. And then you start praying about it and you realize God, God's real generous. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? Where, where you're like, no, no, get behind me, Satan. He's like, no, that's, that's not, that's, that's me. You're like, yeah, 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 but divide that by four and then we're on the same page, brother. God's way more generous. He operates from a different vantage point. That's why the scripture says decide in your heart. Because if you decide in your head, logic's going to get in the way and generosity's illogical. Living a generous life is very irrational. It does not make sense on paper. And that's why when you pray about it, it's always a little bit different number. Because God's just like, oh, he's stretching you. He's challenging you. And so the Bible comes along in the last verse of those three and says, And God is able to bless you abundantly. Remember, the generous are blessed. So if you understand sowing and reaping, and then you understand that you should... Do it with the right motivation, but you've got to decide not in your head, in your heart, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, not just money, that's just one form. In all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I'm going to give you the last one. I really like this one. I like them all. Can you tell? Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. The generous are rewarded. The generous are rewarded. Did you know your God is a rewarder? Look at this verse. This verse will trip you out. Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. Now, wait a minute. We've been talking about in this series that it all belongs to God. That I'm supposed to return the first ten to him. But I can lend to the Lord. How can God borrow something that's already his? God is so gracious to you that he pretends what he lets you manage for him is yours. And not only that, he says, um, I'm going to act like I'm going to borrow it from you, but it's already mine. And then I'm going to bless you for borrowing what was already mine. Your God is a rewarder. Do you see that? Yes or no? Okay. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. That blows my mind that God loves to give so much so in the last chapter of your book, Jesus can't even wait for you to get to heaven to reward you. Verse 12 of Revelation 22, Jesus said, look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me. He, he can't even wait for you to get there. He's so excited to bless you off your good deeds. He's looking at our lives and he's wanting us to be good stewards, which is managers. And any good manager, maybe you are one, you know that you find out the one that you're managing for what they like. You find out what they're looking for. You ask questions and you get details. And once you know, you shape everything you do in such a way that will bring honor to the one you're managing for. But your God is a rewarder. Amen, church? Amen. I want to give you four practical ways 
that we can be generous as we close out this series and step into one of the most generous times of the year. I'm telling you, I love it. The weather's not that cold, but, you know, praise God, I can turn my air conditioner now. And it feels great. Let me give you four handles, four practical steps. And these are profound when you apply them to your life. The first one is be generous with our time. So many of us are waiting on one day win. Some, some of us are one day winners. One day when I graduate high school, I'll get involved. One day when I work out some sin issues, I'll follow Christ. One day uh, when I get married and find a spouse, I'll live a pure life. One day when I have kids, I'll do it. One day when the kids leave, I'll do it. We're always waiting on a day that never comes. But today is the day of your salvation. This is the moment that God has prepared for you. And time is your most valuable, non-renewable asset. We all get the same amount. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But we all don't get the same amount. And we don't know how much time we have left. So why not be generous with the time that God has entrusted us with? Why not restore that to our minds? David said in Psalm 39, Lord, remind me. Maybe that's a prayer for you today, this week. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days... Are numbered. My name is Brian. I'm here to encourage you. <laughs> but how would that change if you knew that was true? If you lived as that was true? You ever seen the, the show? There was a show years ago called 30 Days to Live. What would your next 30 days look like if that's all you had? I'm telling you, a lot of the things that worry you, frustrate you, keep you up at night, agitate you, keep you from your faith, wouldn't even make the list. But that could be the truth. Why don't we live our lives that way on the front end instead of having the regret of it one day that we should have? So I'm so thankful for the GROW team at Palm City. Last week, we all wrote them a note simply because we just, I, words felt like not enough, but it's all we had. Just to say thank you in a unique way to every person who makes time in their schedule to make the vision of our church possible. I call them the Navy SEALs, man. They're on the front line. They're, they, they're, they're caring for your babies right now. They're teaching your kids right now. They were here early cleaning the bathroom so that you would have a clean and enjoyable experience. They welcomed you as you parked your car and they high-fived you as you came into the doors. They gave you the heavenly nectar called coffee. <laughs> Perhaps they seated you. They led you in worship. They, they've created margin in their life. When they serve, they worship one. And serve one so they stay twice as long just so that you could encounter the presence of God in a real way. Can we show our love to the GROW team? Those who've been intentional with their time. That's why Ephesians 5 says it this way. Act like people with good sense and not like fools. I love the Bible. How? These are evil times. So make every minute count. How? Don't be dumb. Quit being so stupid. Instead, find out what the Lord wants you to do. You can do that today at step two. Why not find out? God's already revealed it in your heart. We'll help you receive the revealed work of God. Just find out what the Lord wants you to do and use the time you have 
to make a difference in the lives of others for eternity. Number two, be generous with our skill. Some of you are more beat up than you've ever been. You're more discouraged. You're more hopeless. You feel worthless. Maybe based on some decisions you've made, you feel like you've wasted your life. And the enemy has lied to you. And let me come in the name of Jesus and the power of his word and say that is a lie. You are a masterpiece. God has something great for you. That God has given you some challenges, but he's going to use those challenges that the devil meant for your harm. God said in Genesis 50, I'll use it for your good. Romans 12, 6, the Bible says we have different gifts. Praise God we're different. Don't compare. Don't let the enemy get you caught up in comparison. It was different on purpose. According to the grace given to each of us, that word is charis in the Greek. Where we get the word charismatic, it is a grace gift that God did something in your heart unique to you. It's a divine enablement. It's a Holy Spirit-empowered moment that when you do it, you're really good at it. Not in a natural way, a supernatural way. Maybe it's organizing. Maybe it's caring for people. Maybe it's leadership. Maybe it's helping out. Maybe it's design, graphic design. I don't know what your grace gift is, but I know emphatically that you have one. And why not find out what God wants to do with it? You can do that today. The Bible, number three, let me give you number three. Generous with our humanity. Generous with our humanity. Proverbs 3, 27. Never walk away from someone who deserves help. Watch this. Your hand is God's hand. Look at your hands. Look at them. Don't look at me. That's God's hand. Why? Because you're God's child. And your hands are God's hands. So what should you do with your humanity? Well, you can start by smiling. Come on, smile. Buddy Dale, smiling's my favorite. Why don't you look at your neighbor and just smile? And for those of you who really hate this moment, look at your other neighbor. Smile. Just put a big cheese. Come on, cheese. Studies show endorphins release when you do that. I've got people on the team. I'll be like, hey, are you okay? Oh, I'm very happy. Let your face know. (laughs) Smile. It just lifts the room. When Kristen and I moved here, we were probably awkward with it. it We were so giddy, and we just felt like so on fire for what God was going to do. We didn't know a soul. We parachuted in. We didn't have any money other than that. We were ready to go. (laughs) And, And we got here, and and we'd be at restaurants, and I'd just probably be awkwardly smiling at people. <laughs> but I had this sense that, oh, my God, what if I get to pastor them? Oh, they're going to go to the growth track. They're going to they're gonna find purpose. <laughs> That's how it felt. Why don't you realize you have the same thing, that you have something to give someone. Peter said, silver and gold I have not, but what I have I give to you. I'm not going to keep it from me. I'm going to pour it out on you and marriages and my city. And I'm going to use everything that God has entrusted me with to be a blessing to the world around me. I'm going to be generous with my humanity. What if we just text one person a day for the rest of this year, a scripture, a word of encouragement? One text today, I know it'll do good for them, but let's, guess what? It'll do good for you because it gets you outside of your own list of problems and it causes you to be generous with your words and your time and your humanity and you start living beyond yourself. What if you said, hey, can, how can I pray for you? 
not pry into you. I'm not looking for information. I just know what you're going through. And I just want to pray. I just want to let you know that your name has been presented to the throne of God today. I got your back. You're going to get through this. My hands are God's hands. And I can use my hands to show his heart. That's the purpose. It was never to come in a room for just one hour a week and then check that off the list as if that's enough. That's the starting point. But it's to take your talents and your giftings and your energy and your smile and your caring heart and your helpful hands and to do whatever it takes to make a difference in the lives of those around you. My hands are God's hands. Number four, generous with our resources. We've learned in this series that we're to bring the tithe back to God. It belongs to Him. But then shouldn't we take the extra and live our lives looking for what you want to do now, Lord? posture our lives in such a way that every ounce of energy, every resource, I will steward for the one who saved me. I didn't deserve anything he's done for me, yet he still did it because he loves me. Paul said, to conclude that message about the offering to the Corinthians, he said, since you excel in so many ways. Can I say that to you today prophetically? You're a great church. I am honored to be our pastor. We didn't design this message because you're not doing these things. We designed it because Jesus talked about it at such a great proportion that we have to. As a matter of fact, we would do it 22 out of the 52 weeks a year if we did it the same proportion Christ did. Ten times that he spoke about giving, that he spoke about love. Ten times. But we're talking because you're doing a great job, and this is a reminder not to stop the great excelling that you're doing. But Paul says, you excel in your faith. You're gifted speakers. Thanks, Paul. Your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. And now he says, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. So we got these little cards. And you can't see them, so I got a really big card. (laughs) And on the front of it, it says something extra to show you God loves you. And then on the back, it says, and so do we. Why not over the next six or seven weeks as we close out this year, that we make it rain kindness on our city. That when we're in the drive-thru, we go ahead and make sure it's not a caravan behind us. (laughs) Come on, you know you want to be generous and you're like, oh, that's 38 people in there. That's the devil, that ain't God. (laughs) Oh, just me? Okay. Oh, it's hard, generosity is not easy. You feel it in this room, you leave, you got a bill. Get that message behind me. Let's go to at the movies. (laughs) But what if we did that in drive-thru lines? At Starbucks, at Chick-fil-A, 
What if tomorrow morning when everybody's got the Monday doom and gloom and a case of the Mondays, you just come chipper with a dozen crumble cookies or donuts and you're just like, hey, something extra to show you God loves you. So do we. What if we just used every bit of our lives and we leveraged it in such a way that we loved on the city around us? Imagine a world like that. Imagine a world where the church is known for a lot of things. But what if the church that you attended was known most for their compassion? What if Palm City was known as the most generous group of people in a city? I don't know if I understand everything they believe. I don't even know if I believe everything they believe. But I can tell you that they're using their lives for the benefit of others. That through these random acts of kindness and posturing our lives to live beyond ourselves, we made a difference in the lives of others for eternity. This is the heart. This is the heart of generosity. This is the heart of God. That the church should be the epicenter of giving. What if every need in the greater Tampa Bay area could be met by a room of people who decide to live differently? Jesus said in Luke, give and it will be given to you. That's a financial principle. But watch how a good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If that's how God does it. And notice every verse about generosity always talks about the benefit to you. Because God knows how we are. And he says, if you measure it, I'll use the same measure you use and I'll measure it back to you in your marriage, in your peace, in your joy, and yeah, probably your finances. So shouldn't we do all we can and all we should to be a blessing to the world around us while we still have time? It's not a trick question. The answer is yes. So why don't we become Jenner us? Us together all of us not a graphic not a three-part series a mindset a lifestyle that we would decide to live beyond ourselves to make a difference in the lives of others for the sake of eternity I'm gonna leave you with this statement and we'll pray here's how I wrote it down the value of life isn't determined by how much I accumulate but by how much of my life I give away